Mitchell has his head up, takes a look for feet. Welcome back to the Junkyard Pod. I'm your host, Tony Pesta, alongside Jackson Flickinger and Corey Walsh. And the NBA season is just around the corner. Cavs Media Day is next week. And before we know it, the regular season will be starting. So today, we might as well take an in-depth look at the big three, Donovan Mitchell, Evan Mobley, and Darius Garland. And just preview what to expect from those three as we move into really what should be a very exciting season for the Cavs. So I just want to start off very briefly with uh, Corey and Jackson. How are you feeling about the Cavs entering the year? I'll let the optimist start with Jack. Uh, <laughs> I feel like there's going to be a really good regular season. And like I said that a bunch, but no matter how good they are in the regular season, there's always going to be questions about them in the playoffs just because of how terrible that series was. So yeah, kind of, I'm, I'm happy that the season is going to be starting a lot of fun, but what does it all mean? Who can say? So well poetic. said. <laughs> I think... The Cavs were kind of flying high going in, thinking that they were just going to decimate the Knicks. And we all saw how that went. And the Jared Allen meme insert right here. But yeah, the Cavs, I feel pretty good for, like Jackson said, regular season only. I think this team has the talent to be a really big threat in the postseason. I think a lot of it depends on what can we see the Cavs do in terms of flexibility of their lineups and what kind of decision making does JB make when games get really close? One of the things that I think is worth like bringing up um, is how poorly the Cavs kind of did late in games and how it felt like they threw some games away. You know, they had one of the best net, uh, net, net ratings in the entire league, but their record didn't really show that. So I guess if we're trying to look for something in the regular season to get us, make us more hopeful is that maybe they can win more of these close games maybe they can play up to their skill or at least they're like net rating and not below it so there are things to look for it's just that you're not going to be like oh yes the Cavs conquered their playoff demons because look at their net rating you know it's producing so many more wins so that's that's not what any of us are going to say so at least hopefully not you never know what Tony's going to say when he gets excited. Yeah, you, you got to rein me in if we get to that point. <laughs> but I think the Cavs, like, there's so much that it feels like they have to prove. But I don't think they can prove any of it in the regular season, no matter how good they are. So that's kind of the unfortunate part. Like, listen, I'm still going to be super excited if they're good in the regular season. But there's going to be a lot of people who are just like, I don't care if you finish with the best net rating in the NBA. You got to show in the playoffs. And to a degree, it's true. They are at a point where you need to see some results in the playoffs. But with all that being said, I think we might as well just dive straight into Donovan Mitchell, who still the best player on the Cavs, I would say pretty easily. We could see what Darius Garland and Evan Mobley are capable of, but I would still say most of their success is going to rest on Donovan Mitchell's shoulders. And so I want to know from you guys, what do you expect from Donovan Mitchell this season? I think in order for the Cavs to kind of go where they need to go in the regular season, it would have to be a similar performance from Mitchell. I'm not saying he needs to be contending for first team all NBA for the team to do well, because hopefully the other remaining supporting cast can help in moments where he doesn't kind of need to go into a nuclear offensive mode in order for us to win games. Uh, if this was like an A plus season for him, the Cavs should be pretty set to kind of be a top three team in the East if Mitchell needs to go any further than he went last season, then that kind of spells trouble 
I think that's not like a model for playoff success. We saw that last year. It was kind of like, wait, so when Donovan's not absolutely a human flamethrower, who's going to kind of bail us out here? And then it just turned into everyone hoping the guy next to them was going to be the person to step up. And then that turns into taking dart throws that Jetty Osmond's going to be on fire one game, or you can get something out of the corpse of Dean Wade. But, you know, otherwise it's donovan i expect more of the same to end my ramble <laughs> if anything we should be expecting a little bit better version of donovan mitchell he's going to be going into his his age 27 season typically that's players best seasons 27 28 29 that's usually when you get the best from players that's like you know Jokic just won the title in his age 28 season Giannis won his first title age 27 lebron won his first title age 27 it's just that's kind of the year that guys just seem to put it together and i think we're just going to get a really good donovan mitchell it's going to be his his own physical prime and you know we saw how good he was last year probably the best cab season from somebody not named lebron james that's nothing to discount he was great but the season is really going to go how donovan mitchell plays he's really shored up uh, the parts of his scoring game he became a um, three-level scorer. His pull-up three-point shot was really what kind of set him apart from the past. But I think we saw in the playoffs that to be a complete player, it's more than being just a complete three-level scorer. He needs to be more of a distributor. He needs to be somebody who, even when he has the ball in his hands a lot, he's able to actually get others involved and not just making like simple, like the really simple passes. So if you look at like his assist to usage rate, it was uh, at 0.64, which is in the 16th percentile, which is, which basically that just means that even though his raw assist numbers were good, his assists compared to how much he had the ball was among the lowest in the league. I believe it was lower than Sexton's was Ooh. during his last year in Cleveland. So Don't say that. That's some dangerous talk there. <laughs> right. So it's just like you see the passes Donovan Mitchell makes and he is a really skilled passer. So it's like he can do it. It's just when he presses, he just turns to himself when things get tough. And that's kind of where it's like we just need to see him improve. Like he doesn't need to become a you know, James Harden level passer for this team to be good, but he needs to be like a Dwayne Wade level passer, somebody who's like, he's not going to get nine assists a game, but he can see and make those passes. You would kind of hope with the free agent acquisitions that Mitchell can at least uh, see the floor a little more with, I think he'll trust his teammates more because they surrounded him with more shooting. I don't know if I felt like last year's supporting cast was really a recipe for anyone with Mitchell's level of vision. Because it's not like all NBA level passing. It's just like you said, he can see when it's there. He's not making reads that you're like, how did he even see that? Like you do with Darius sometimes. It's more of, I think if Mitchell has more shooters around him, you would kind of hope this kind of unlocks things offensively and makes life easier for Mitchell in that sense too. He's able to make the passes when somebody leaves in the corner, but he's really not like trying to, okay, Allen has an opening, I can lob it to him. So there's just kind of like a little bit of a disconnect where it's more of a counter to him or like everything else is shut off. So I'm going to make this play as opposed to like, this is a tool that I have in my toolbox. He's the best player that the Cavs have. I know we're going to talk about Darius Garland and how important he is, but it's like Donovan Mitchell is still a significantly better player, in my opinion. But for this team to be their best, he needs to make the right decision with the ball in his hand because it's going to be in his hand a lot. 
I think that's an important like distinction to make with his playmaking is that I do think he has the talent to do it. I think he has shown that he can make really good reads. He's a good passer. It just really comes down to his willingness. And I don't think it's because he's a selfish player at all. I just think he has supreme confidence in himself. And anytime there's a situation where it feels like the Cavs need a jolt, he's the first one to call his own number and try to dig them out of that hole. Where in a lot of situations, maybe it's better to get other people involved rather than calling his own number and attempting these very difficult shots that he's capable of making. But I think the playoffs is a great example of where maybe if he kind of hits the brakes a little bit and tries to get Darius Garland going, maybe we see the Cavs look like a better team overall. But to kind of bring this all full circle with what we're saying, I, I think it's going to be another great year for him. I would expect him to be another all-NBA caliber player. And with the East as open as it is, I could easily see him leading, catapulting this Cavs team into the first seed in the Eastern Conference. And if he does that, he should be an All-NBA player. So uh, lots of great stuff in the regular season for Mitchell. I think he's entering his prime. The only slight concern that I have, and I wouldn't even say it's really a concern, it's just when you look at the last two seasons, he has been like unbelievable shooting pull-up three-pointers, like on an incredible hot streak. And you just wonder if that's gonna maybe not come down to earth, but you can only shoot 50, 45% on pull up threes for so long. Eventually you're going to dip a little bit. So that's my only concern is maybe we'll see a slight regression there, but overall he's entering his athletic prime. So I expect him to be the elite three level scorer. He has been the last few seasons. Tony, I thought that we had like a rule that we weren't going to talk about his pull up three point shooting because it, it is too unsustainable. It's like, <laughs> I didn't want to put it out there, but it just, I just, I had to bring it up because I don't think it's unsustainable, but it's just one of those things where like, everyone's going to come, you're going to regress a little bit at some point because he is like blazing hot on pull up three pointers the last two years. Obviously we're going to talk about this with Darius Garland too. Later is like more off ball movement and that blazing pull up three point shooting hasn't really translated to like a catch and shoot or like set shots in the same way. So it's like, if he could get more comfortable doing that that would also help everything be a little more smooth and because last year the offense was anything but smooth even when donovan mitchell was scoring 40 points a game it seemed like yeah i was gonna say we kind of saw what this i mean it's you can't this team isn't a copy and paste from last year but i feel like we saw what it this version of Donovan Mitchell did and how much it impacted the roster. He made us win games that we had no business of necessarily winning. And the offense was so sluggish and bogged down. It felt ugly most games. I kind of hope this year's team is now built to sustain, hey, Donovan's not gonna score 35 plus points like most games of the season. Because I, I know I, Jackson likes to roast my saying of Mitchell and the Michettes, but I just like as exciting as those performances were like you, you kind of just in the back of your mind like, yeah, this is awesome. But to expect a player to do this four out of seven games a series in a postseason is just not a recipe for success at all. I will say that I always felt like it was more Mitchell doing it because he had to as opposed to like Mitchell, like just taking over because I'm the guy and I want the ball in my hands. So that's where like the pushback from that comes from. But it, the but the point remains because it's like, yeah, if you're not getting any scoring and you're relying on like, okay, well maybe Dean Wade can make a couple of shots today. Maybe, you know, maybe you get a good Jetty Osmond game. It's like, that's not really like, that's, that's not what other, other good teams aren't really relying that heavily on role players that are that inconsistent. unskilled, <laughs> yeah. inconsistent, you know? 
whatever word you want to throw in there. Not to be a cliche machine, but I feel like it's we haven't really seen the formula of a team whose best player is a smaller guard win in those types of head-to-head -head matchups most times it's going to be the wing or the team with the dominant big that's going to pull it out we haven't really seen that formula work so you kind of hope the Cavs have figured something out this season with trying to make it a more even spread effort than relying on two smaller guards it is reductive to just kind of make it like you're saying but it's also not at the same time because there's a reason why we don't see that and that's because if you're somebody as big as Jokic, there's a lot of different ways that you can beat a team that aren't available for Mitchell. Yeah, and, and to the point that both of you are making, we'll just transition into the playoff talk a little bit because Mitchell has had a spotty playoff resume. Um, early on in his career, he was electric, I think top five or top 10 in points per game in, in the playoffs. Uh, the last two seasons haven't been as strong. I'll give him somewhat of a pass for his last year in Utah because I just feel like that team very much knew that this was the end of the road and there was big changes coming and no one really felt fully invested with that said he still played poorly in that series so i'm not giving him an excuse i'm just saying the vibes weren't great top to bottom last year with the Cavs, uh again not an excuse but i do think it's worth mentioning that he was far from the only player that struggled the entire team top to bottom again struggled in that series but i just think it's very interesting looking at donovan mitchell's playoff resume because i think a lot of people will kind of ask this question like well was it a fluke when he was scoring 50 in the bubble or is it a fluke that he's underperforming now? Which one is it? And I think really they're both accurate representations of what Donovan Mitchell can bring to the playoffs. And that all ties back into what we're saying is this is just kind of the variance that comes from being a 6'2 guard who half of his shot attempts are coming from behind the three point line. As explosive of an athlete as he is and as great as he is getting to the paint, so many of his shots are coming behind the three point line. And that's just a recipe for these types of series like we see against the Knicks where he shoots 20% on open threes. When you have a seven game sample size, you're going to have these moments where you're in a shooting slump. And that's just what makes it so hard to win with a shorter player as your you know, go-to scorer. And so I wanna pass the question off to, we'll start with Corey. How do you view Donovan Mitchell's somewhat shaky playoff resume so far? I feel like, you know, the Jazz were historically a regular season team. And the postseason, I I felt like they were a deep team, but I didn't think they were a top-heavy team. And I honestly feel like in the postseason, you kind of need to have your co-runner, like your co-stars, to kind of be able to be built for the playoffs. And I feel like Mitchell was surrounded by a bunch of shooters, but he wasn't really surrounded by a bunch of dynamic offensive players. So I don't know if I view Mitchell's shaky playoff resume with Utah as an indictment on him, because I never felt like those teams were necessarily built for moving past the first round. I think this is the probably going to be the, the Cavs tenure for him is probably his greatest Show. This will be his greatest way to identify how good of a postseason player he is because he's surrounded with probably some of the best talent that he's ever had. I think it's um, I think those are all good points. And I think like the Cavs are going to go as far as Mitchell takes them. But Mitchell's ability to take them as far as he can will depend on how everyone else fits around him. And that's kind of what we saw last year where it was this team fit around him because they could cover up for him on on a on the um, defensive end, but he wasn't, you know, the lack of offensive options made that difficult in the um, playoffs. So it's like the Cavs have, the Cavs are good because they have a really 
deep top four and it's like for them to kind of reach where they need to be and for Mitchell to reach the heights that he needs he needs that four-man group to be better than the sum of its parts they need to carry over what makes them special in the regular season and that's where the questions come down to like well, Allen and Mobley can fit in the reg- in the regular season, but in the playoffs, when you're game planning to that level, can they fit? So it's like it's on him, but there's also like there's reasons why we saw it all get taken away in that um first round. So it's it's a very nuanced conversation, and it's not really like uh, if he does this, Cavs will win. If Jared Allen was a great three point shooter, the Cavs would win. Like there's a lot more to it than that. Yeah, I think it comes down to if if you're expecting Mitchell to lead the offensive charge throughout a deep playoff run or winning 16 games in the postseason, you have to basically hope that he's going to have an exceptional run from behind the three-point line because, again, so many of his shots come from there. And, you know, at, at the end of the day, you also have to hope that if he isn't going to shoot well from behind the line, that the rest of his teammates aren't also going to bottom out and struggle. And so that's what we saw in the first round against New York. And obviously if Mitchell's not playing good and the rest of the team is struggling, the Cavs aren't going to go very far, but you also have to hope that they can get to a position where the supporting cast is strong enough on offense. So even if he's just having a regular series from behind the three point line, the rest of the team can still do enough to supplement and provide enough help. And it also comes back to, as we said, being a willing passer and trusting his teammates. You hope that the offensive that a Max Drews can help him actually like not need to rely so much on the on him his pull up three point shooting because that's he really used that to open up the floor for himself and while obviously that's good if you it's really best if your teammates can do that so you know you just you just hope that this offense actually shows some level of like sustainability in the playoffs. Hmm. And I think this is a good time to just move into one of his teammates and focus on another member of the, you know, big three that the Cavs kind of have growing here. And let's talk about Evan Mobley. And what I want to know, I'll start with Jackson. Uh, I just kind of want to check in as we're entering year three of Mobley and see how have your expectations changed? Uh, Do you still think that he is going to be this two-way superstar, potential MVP candidate one day? Or have you kind of lowered your expectations over the last two years? Where are you with Evan Mobley as compared to when he was drafted or even entering his sophomore season? I think I'm lower on his offensive ceiling than I was prior to last season, just because we really, the things that he already did well, he got better at, but he didn't really show that he got much better at the things that he did. He wasn't doing well on that side. So like, I don't know if we saw really steps from him as a ball as a ball handler. We definitely didn't see steps from him as a as a shooter, and it's like he needs to get better and preferably both, but at least one of those to really make that Allen pairing fit in the um, half court. So it's like from that standpoint, like I've lowered my expectations some, and we also saw at the same time how dominant of a player he can be even with those offensive limitations he's so skilled around the rim um he showed that he has a really high iq off ball so he's able to move and relocate into those spots to get those easy baskets but i hope to see more uh this season one thing i do want to keep an eye out for is like that short mid-range shot 
um, where he kind of has his back to the basket to start. We saw, especially at the end of the regular season last year, he seemed to be hitting that with much more comfort. And like, if he's able to, his um, issues with that shot came from like getting pushed off his spot some. And if he can kind of, if he's able to physically mature enough where he's able to kind of not get pushed off his spot when he's going up for those shots, I really think that could help open up his offense because if he is able to hit like a 15, 16 foot shot, that really helps with those, with those spacing concerns. Yeah. I think with Mobley, my view of his ceiling aligns with Jackson's. I think defensively it couldn't be higher for my expectations of what he can be offensively. I, I think I'm past the point of thinking he's going to be a player who's going to spread the floor. And that doesn't mean I've given up on his offensive like capabilities. It just means I don't think he's going to have the potential to have threatened defenses, especially for me, it comes down to his mechanics. I mean, his shot takes forever to get going. And at the three point line where he already is an inconsistent shooter, it makes his window of opportunity to shoot even smaller. So unless he like really works to refine that over the next few seasons, I don't see a world in which that's going to happen. And I feel like I am kind of against the grain in that sense, because I don't think that's the difference maker for him necessarily. I think what changes the whole landscape of the Cavs offense would be if he could become that offensive hub who can also have the capability of handling the ball and become this primary outlet for others. Because we've seen like samples of it. But it feels like it's mostly like the the big to big connection where you kind of see his vision kind of on display. And if he could have situations where he brings it up in transition and they start sets with him up top, I feel like that would really help unlock stuff. Or even if he operates from the elbow in that sense, that would really help this offense. And that is something I still am fully feeling like that is in his toolbox that he could work on. So I don't think I think he's going to be a player similar to KG like everyone else in the on the planet does. But I think there is a version of him that could be like a Jokic light where he's able to kind of operate similarly. He's obviously not as gifted as a shooter as Jokic is. And I think Jokic and him probably share similar speed as much of an insult as that sounds. But they both play with such a patience and they both are such intelligent players. And I know that Mobley has like that vision that like there's been enough on tape that shows to you that there's a there's he sees things. It's just putting his tools to what he sees. And I think that's his biggest gap that he could really he could really work on this season and really improve. Mm, I agree 100 percent with that. I think everyone focuses so much on the three point shot because it's flashy and it, it feels like it would be the big difference maker. But when you look at like the best big men in the NBA, whether it's Jokic, Anthony Davis, even Giannis, if you throw them in there, like shooting the ball was never really the difference maker for them. I guess Davis a little bit because when he is hitting for mid range, he becomes unstoppable. But like for Jokic example, he's a good three point shooter, but teams aren't really defending him beyond the three point line because they're worried he's gonna shoot threes. They're worried about how he's gonna create for everyone else. And so for Mobley, the foundations of being a good shooter like i think he has promise in the mid-range as jackson said i think his mechanics you know kind of that fade away in rhythm shot looks a lot better than when he's trying to spot up and like wrap his 
nine feet arms into a into a fluid jump shot motion. Like it just looks awkward from behind the three point line in the mid range. It looks like he's a little more in the flow of things. Uh, I think last year, if I recall, he was like maybe the worst three point shooter for a minimum of a certain amount of attempts. Like it, it would just take a huge leap for that to really make a difference from out there. Uh, so I think the bigger thing that I'm hoping for is I want to see him improve as a ball handler. Towards the end of last season, we saw more of him handling the ball, dribble handoffs and stuff like that, but it's still below where you would want it to be. Um, and just to kind of return to the original question, I think if we cut out the playoffs and just focus on the regular season, I would feel way more optimistic about his offensive development because I think he showed some things. I think he really rounded out as a finisher around the paint. He was one of the best in the NBA. He started to flash that potential to score in the mid range. And he was, you know, the playmaking has always been there. Then you get to the playoffs and it was such a train wreck offensively for Mobley that I think everyone's expectations or just overall feeling from his sophomore season plummeted. And now that we've had some distance from then, my optimism has returned a bit where I do still think there's a very quality offensive player there. I'm just not sure if he's ever going to be a guy who's going to consistently dominate the game on the offensive end, specifically with this scoring. I think it's going to be more of kind of operating as a glue guy, getting others involved, setting screens, dribble handoffs, just stuff like that. I think it's interesting that you brought up the other three bigs that that you did, but kind of the big difference between them and like the Bucks Nuggets uh, is that like the Cavs have another center out there with him that can't shoot. So that's just kind of complicates things. And it's like we saw the Cavs in that in Adam series constantly put him in the short role and he just wasn't able to make the play. It's like if he's able to make that play to Allen which was there, it obviously changes that, but it's also like, is your whole offense just going to be high, high pick and roll mobile in the short in the M short roll and hope that he makes the right play. Like that's kind of not really the best way to use anybody, but it's kind of like, what else are you going to do when you have the constraints that the Cavs have? So like, it's just, it feels like it's the same thing as like the Mitchell conversation where it's like, there's a lot of things that he can do to improve and all the things that Corey brought up was great because it's, you know, he needs to, you can see that he has the skills to be that hub, but it's like with what he's working with, with the spacing, is this the coaching staff that can bring that out of him? Is Can they put him in the right position to succeed? I don't know. And that's, again, we're just going to have to wait and see till the playoffs because they showed that they could do a, the uh, two-man game was good with him and Allen all um, season. You know, Allen's ability to just kind of attack the rim, his um, rim pressure was enough to just make everything work to a certain degree. But, you know, that that him dries up in the playoffs. Hmm. And my question there is, I, I still think having Allen out there is going to always limit spacing. That's always going to be a, a factor that works against them. But it wasn't just that they had another non-shooter in Allen. They also had non-shooters on the wing. So I'm hoping that maybe Max Struess, I've said this plenty of times on the pod, but I'm hoping that maybe Max Struess will be enough to open things up and return to that two-man game. But again, when we get to the playoffs, that's really going to be where we get the answer to all these questions. I'm sure we'll see stretches during the regular season. 
paper. They look like they have great spacing and Mobley's doing everything that we expected. And then we'll have stretches where he's struggling and no, like Max Drews isn't hitting and Allen just looks unplayable against certain matchups. And we'll be returning to all these questions we have right now. Has there ever been a role player who's been signed that was never considered to be like an above average role player that has such high expectations on him like Max Struess has for the yeah. Cavs. I feel like every answer for like the Cavs offense is be like it kind of centers around like well if Max Struess is the same player he was in Miami then this offense will unlock. Well mm. Donovan Mitchell will be life will be a lot easier because of Max Struess. Everyone's life is going to be easier because of Max Struess and if Max Struess just is like ice cold in the first 20 games. I think Cleveland will try it's to find where Max Struess lives <laughs> and he might need to relocate. <laughs> Look, if, if Max Struess just averages like nine points per game on like 36% three-point shooting, it, it won't it won't look impressive in the stat sheet, but it could make a stylistic change, which is what I'm hoping for personally. I think it's just how they um, use him. If they stick him yeah. in the corner and if, if it's just the Isaac Okoro 2.0, that's not really doing anything because it's just at that point you're making it a, you know, let's say his guy stays on him, you're making it a four-on-four four game, which still can be an issue uh but if they're able to have him you know as a as a actual movement shooter coming coming off of screens from allen and mobley that could really just open things up and then it'd be really cool if they had another like guard who could really shoot and move off ball that would really open things up as well for them all to just do crazy things together but you know the Cavs don't have that right now, but um, maybe they Hydra could. Jerome's workout videos say otherwise. I thought you were building up to a Sam Merrill name drop right there, honestly. God, I, we have so many, I was so not many names. Up. <laughs> I, was, I was referring to Darius Garland, you know, the guy who mm. is one of the best three-point shooters in the league but doesn't move off ball. Or Donovan Mitchell, who is one of the best pull-up three-point shooters in the league but also doesn't move off ball. That Those were the two I was referring to, but Sam Merrill would also help so much. Ty Jerome. Ty Jerome. Moving forward, I think we uh, pretty much summed up Mobley there because we didn't even talk about his defense, but I don't like there's no ceiling on defense. This He's he could right. win who knows how many Defensive Player of the Year awards he could win Not if two. the voters stopped, you <laughs> know, three. robbing him every year. But Not that's another more. discussion. <laughs> Not five. Uh, the other player we need to talk about, the final member of the big three, is Darius Garland. And I'm just going to pose the very simple question. Is Darius Garland underrated? No, I think he's pretty properly rated, honestly. Uh, I think he's overrated by Cavs Twitter, but that's... Um, by Cavs Twitter, I mean Tony. Um, but what he does best is underrated. Um, but I think the limitations that he's shown are kind of going to keep him there until he's able to kind of work through them. You know, and it's kind of, it's kind of like the... The Donovan Mitchell conversation. If you are an undersized guard and you are, you just need to have so many different tools in your toolbox and ways to affect the defense uh, because they can physically try to take you off your game. And one of the things that, you know, I think we saw last year, especially in the first round, I, th I think Darius played probably the best of any member of the Cavs, maybe um of the Cavs, and but his game was also like predicated on his outside shot and it'd be nice if he had other ways to beat a team and i think that kind of goes back to like if he's able to 
if he was able to develop as an off-ball shooter and kind of moving off-ball, it would really open up this offense and also open up the game for for himself because he has all of the skills, but I don't know if we've really seen him put it together in a way that Cavs fans, that us Cavs fans would like to think that he has. Yeah, I think that's why... Uh, as you called me out, I would say he's a little underrated because I think he's just lumped a into just a little bit, genuinely okay. just a little bit, because I think he's lumped into the same tier as players who I think he is capable of being better than. Like, you know, you see him lumped in with Jalen Brunson, Tyrese Halliburton, and, and just players of that caliber, kind of these fringe all-stars, Drew Holiday. And I just, maybe I'm just preemptively assuming that Garland is going to rise higher than those guys and separate himself at some point. Uh, so I think that's where uh, the underrated aspect of it comes in. But you hit on all the limitations. Uh, if Darius Garland is going to, like everyone will always come back to, well, if he just add volume, if he just takes a couple more three-pointers, but it's really not as simple as just shooting more. He needs to find a way to get those shots. It can't just be pulling up for three-pointer because he's already a pretty good three-point shooter when he pulls up. And he already does it at a decent rate, I would say. The problem is when you compare him to like other elite shot creators, like if you look at like Donovan Mitchell, for example, Mitchell is able to create so many shots for himself because he is a top-tier athlete and he can get into the paint basically at will. You compare him to someone like Damian Lillard again explosive athlete he's obviously as he's aged lost some of his athleticism but those are players where Darius Garland just isn't on the same level as them in terms of explosiveness getting to the rim and so it's always going to be more difficult for him to get more three-point shots as the ball handler when the defense is able to kind of press up and not worry as much about your threat to get into the paint if you compare him to someone like Stephen Curry where he's probably similar in terms of athleticism Stephen Curry is running a marathon every game whereas Darius Garland is kind of posted near half court waiting for the ball and so if you're going to add volume it's not as simple as taking more shots he needs to be more active off ball and really create more opportunities for himself I feel like a part of Darius's game that has been drawn attention towards but I don't think it's emphasized enough is his inability to finish through contact I feel like everyone's common complaint is that Darius never gets the calls and yeah it's true that I feel like he doesn't get like a lot of the calls I feel like he gets just because it just looks like he's physically outmatched in most situations so I think that's where the refs more lean but Darius has opportunity he's shifty enough to get to the basket and he can put up a good a good shot it's just he he really struggles to finish through contact and i don't know if that's just a you just gotta kind of build out your frame more so you're able to absorb it but that also comes with the counter if you're kind of taking away that what provides his shiftiness is his like slender frame as is so i think because like he can shoot from anywhere on the court i don't really doubt that in darius garland's bag whatsoever it's just the minute he gets to the rim if it's not an open contest he's just it's really low chance i think he converts on those i think it's the curry comparison even though you can't compare anyone to curry mm. it's still kind of apt because how often do you see curry just taking a high screen and roll and then trying to think to um, get to the basket that way. That's not really how he generates his looks. He generates a lot of those looks off ball and this off ball movement and just kind of like, well, when he's coming around a screen, you're always going to try to protect the shot more 
than you are him getting to the basket. So it's just like, there's just so much. So like, if you're going to say that he's underrated, it's because you believe that he has the skills and he does, but it's just, is this team going to put him in the position to actually use all the skills that he has to the best of his ability? Because yeah, he's, you know, if you're a 57% shooter at the um, rim, that's really just never going to open up your game and you're always going to be too reliant on your outside shot. And if you're that reliant on your out, your outside shot and you're not moving off ball, it's really hard to get those off. And that's kind of where all the complaints come back to. And as always with the Cavs, I mean, you can point again to their lack of spacing as a reason why he struggles to score in the paint. It's always going to be more difficult for an undersized guard who, again, doesn't have that explosive verticality to score consistently in the paint when he has two non-shooting big men and last season, a non-shooter on the wing. So maybe that'll change if they... You know, with the addition of Max Truce, of course. Uh, but also, like, if they played at a faster pace, would he get more three-point attempts? Probably. He's a killer in transition. I think moving at a faster pace would help everyone on this Cavs team, but it's something that they haven't been able to do yet, and it's another potential limitation for Garland. I think the moving at a faster pace would definitely help things, especially over 82 games. But in the playoffs, you can't just get rid of your problems by moving at a faster pace so it's like they should move at a faster pace but also like they need to iron out the half court so i'm fine mm -hmm. if they play at a snail's pace as long as they're trying to work through the half court and not just like let's just spam high pick and rolls yeah and also darius garland a little too ethical as a basketball player i need to see him foul bait a little bit all right get in there flail your arms man hook some people like he could get to the free throw line a little more if he and in a serious note he just kind of avoids contact is really what i'm saying he he will try to dance around or scoop around players instead of really getting into their body and so i hope that's something that he has been putting an emphasis on in the summer because you don't have to bulk up to absorb contact i mean Kyrie is a, a strong basketball player but he's undersized compared to you know the seven footers who he has no problem just tossing his body into absorbing the contact and finishing that's obviously a huge bar to clear that garland will probably never like i don't know if anyone in the nba is, is, is as History. capable as <laughs> at doing that but that's just kind of the the style that i'm trying to say is like right now he just avoids contact too much and i think he could really benefit from not doing that and getting himself to the line a little more the next question that i have for darius garland and we've kind of maybe hit on this a little bit is Darius Garland able to max out his potential next to Donovan Mitchell? I think he should because the best case scenario, I don't think as much as I think we all like Garland, maybe not Jackson because he seems to hate everyone that Tony likes. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> I do actually love Garland as a player. I think he's, you know, if I had like a favorite player, I think it would be him. So this is all in love. Darius is set up to succeed next to Donovan Mitchell. The question is for Donovan Mitchell, if he can move off ball, that would also help max out his potential next to Darius. Just to be clear, they both need to move off ball. So, but I kind of like the idea of Darius doing it more because I think it will open up his game more than it would for like Donovan Mitchell because Donovan can, Donovan can get his no matter what he's doing. It's just kind of like, kind of run into the, some roadblocks and like high leverage situations one of the things that i think is interesting with darius and kind of why i think 
it's worth like being patient with is if you just think about the teams that he's been on since like college, you know, college, he's playing on ball. He's the only option in his short you know, time there. And then in the NBA, you know, him and Sexton never really got along great, but it, it was always like, let's keep, let's try to make Darius more on ball. Let's try to make Darius more on ball. And it's just kind of like, for him to be the most complete version of himself, he needs to just move off ball. He not like in a permanent test, but like have movement off ball so he can better use all the skills that he has in a more dynamic way. So it's like, I just like, it's just something that he needs to do. Yeah. I think uh, I would, I agree. I think Garland can reach his max potential next to Mitchell. And really when you look at just this big three in general, like, I don't think Garland is ever going to be the number one option on a championship team. And so that means he's either going to be the second or the third. I think Mobley is a, a perfect pairing for Garland. I think Mitchell is about as good of a pairing as you can have in the backcourt. Again, I think we sometimes take for granted how quickly they made it work. I think this big three, the three of them make sense together. You might argue that the rest of the team doesn't. And I'd probably agree with you. But the big three are of Mobley, Garland, and Mitchell really do make a lot of sense together. And I think they have a very bright future. And so I, I just don't see any of them really holding each other back in any way that, you know, you wouldn't expect from any other big three, right? Like there's going to be sacrifice. Some players are going to need to be off ball a little more, whether that's Garland or Mitchell. But these three are set up perfectly to grow together and compete for a title at some point, whether it be this year or in the near future. You know, the Cavs are in a really good spot that a lot of teams that are building for playoff contention don't really find themselves in. Usually it's players trying to find their core to keep building around that seem, seem to struggle with. The Cavs are in a good position where they aren't really strapped with bad contracts with who they have on their roster. Like if they decide two years from now that they don't really like the supporting cast they're in a position where they can kind of just reshuffle the playing cards around mobley allen and garland or oh my god mobley uh mitchell real and garland three. yes this is my i think the cash should only play tall ball <laughs> uh yeah they they're in a really good spot they i feel like if mitchell re-ups with this team they can kind of have the freedom to shuffle around after seeing what this core looks like after a few years that's going to do it for this episode of the Junkyard Pod. I want to thank everyone for watching or listening. If you are not subscribed, please consider doing so on Apple, Spotify, or YouTube. You can find the links to all of our X accounts or Twitter accounts, if you're still a normal person, in the description. Uh, sincerely, thanks for watching. Corey Jackson, thank you for joining, as always, and go Cavs. I agree. Go Cavs. Go Cavs.